We turn to Micah chapter 4 now, beginning in the first verse. It shall come to pass in the latter days, the last days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem shall judge between my peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away, and they shall beat the swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and Ever. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. In the lame, I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from the time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hills of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud, is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. And you shall go to Babylon, there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies." Now many nations are assembled against you, saying that let her be defiled, let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand His plan. And He has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh. O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Now so far in Micah, these past weeks, we've heard warnings and hope, pictures of justice and mercy, pictures of our mess, our great sin, and God's masterpiece. You know, our world tends to have one and not the other, or sometimes neither. Like, I like justice, but I'm not really prepared to forgive. I like forgiveness, but that justice, that law, seems too much to handle, too old-fashioned. Oftentimes, what we get today is like going to the soda fountain. You know, when you used to be able to go to the soda fountain and refill your drink... And you go there, and you put your cup under the fountain, 
only to get that thick syrup, no soda in it. Not able to drink it. It's too thick and syrupy and sweet. It's undigestible. Or maybe that's like when we try to come to the gospel without the law pointing us there and needing of repentance. Or maybe we go to that fountain and it's just the, just the seltzer water, right? Just the soda water. Bitter. Hard to taste. It needs the, the, the sweetness of the syrup to make it enjoyable. That's when we try to save ourselves by righteous living and we take that law in but don't hear the promise of the gospel. We need both the law and the gospel to transform our hearts. And that's what we get in Micah 4 today. As he moves, as one scholar put it, in a breathtaking turn from the condemnation of our sin in chapter 3. A judicial sentence, the scholar writes, reducing Israel's peace into a heap of rubble. And now this breathtaking turn to a vision of a hidden future in Jerusalem and its temple where it will become the center of global justice and international righteousness and peace and prosperity. This turn happens in chapter 4. And to unpack it together, I want to give you a decoder ring or a cue code reader if you prefer to understand just what God is saying to us here. But before we unpack it, let me go back a little bit and talk about the context of who it is that's speaking to us and what God is saying to us at this moment in history and what it meant then and what it means for us today. For Micah gives us a picture of the future. A picture not just of his immediate future, but of our eternal one. In his immediate future, they're preaching from, remember, the People of Israel are split into two kingdoms now. You'll recall Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And as he preaches from Judah, the future of the northern kingdom is soon to be discovered. In Micah's lifetime in 722 BC, the northern kingdom is taken over by Assyria. Now, they will fall. But no one expects what Micah shares in chapter 4 today, that Babylon, that Babylon will be the place that they will go into exile in the southern kingdom. That Babylon will overtake the southern kingdom. That means they'll have to overtake Assyria. And one scholar put it, in Micah's life, in Micah's lifetime, Babylon was kind of like a second fiddle, second rate power in comparison to Assyria. Now, the southern kingdom won't fall for over 100 years until 586 or 587 B.C. It will be 100 years before Babylon will become a powerhouse and overtake Assyria. So how could Micah predict this? How could he know? Well, this is the point where we need to remember that it's not Micah speaking to us here. It's God Almighty speaking through Micah. And what we have for us in chapter 4 of Micah it, with the 
This prophecy being fulfilled some hundred years later is a confirmation once again of the authenticity and the truth of God's word. It's not Micah speaking to the people then or to us now, but God. And so when we remember that fulfillment and we remember if God fulfilled those words then, he will fulfill the words of eternal promise that Micah preaches about now. Because the kingdom that Micah is talking about will not get fulfilled until the Messiah comes. He's talking about an eternal kingdom. A picture that won't get filled in the physical. Scholars today and even Luther 500 years ago believe Micah was speaking not just of a physical future, but of a spiritual one. For example, when we read in Nehemiah or Ezra about the return, and when the exiles do finally return and rebuild the temple, it was in no way as glorious as the temple that Solomon had built, the one that had been destroyed. And even a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Beryl Weens, talks about that what was different between that first temple and the second was the Ark of the Covenant, God's very present and promise, His Word. Or as this rabbi puts it, the Holy Spirit was no longer dwelling there. Of course, we know when the Messiah comes, that'll all change. Now, the, the building itself would become glorious again under Herod, under Herod, around the time of Jesus, the temple would be made even grander than it was under Solomon, some would say. It was, uh, as the Talmud would write, and as this rabbi points out, you haven't seen a beautiful building, they would say, until you've seen Herod's temple. And yet the Ark of the Covenant was still missing. Prophecies had ceased. The Word of God was not present. The physical temple doesn't compare to the spiritual temple that would be ushered in when the Messiah would come. Jesus, the Word made flesh. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Scholar Jeff White says that it would become a foretaste. And we know that partaking in Holy Communion, partaking with Christ is a foretaste of the feast that will finally come when God comes again and all those promises are complete. He likens it to going to Baskin-Robbins. You know when you get all those little spoons and you get to taste the ice cream that you might yet choose to buy? You get a foretaste of what is to come. Tried to convince my wife that I needed to go to Baskin-Robbins for sermon prep, but she didn't believe me. The point is this. We get to partake in a foretaste of the feast to come when we come to the Messiah, the same Messiah that Micah is predicting. And if we walk in what we now know is the full counsel of God, the law and the gospel, we get to taste God's justice and mercy as His now, His remnant people returning, not by our strength, but by God's grace. And as the church, we get to be a community that tastes it first, and then guess what we get to do? We get to pass out the spoons. 
We get to pass out the spoons and invite others. Taste and see. Get a foretaste of this feast that will come. You'll recall, as I've shared with you in these weeks, we'll remember in the book of Hebrews, in the days of old, God spoke through the prophets of old, like Micah. But now, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. And it's that Son, it's that Son in whom Micah predicts in chapter 4, and we'll hear more about in chapter 5. And remember to fully appreciate the taste of this ice cream. You're going to need a decoder ring or a cue code ring, or as you prefer, to hear the message that God wants us to know and hear through Micah. Now there's just too many things to unpack throughout this whole chapter, so I won't try to even cover it all, but let's just take a few of these images that Micah gives us. And chapter 4 begins with this phrase, the last days. And then it talks about the mountain and Zion and the fig tree and vine and swords to plowshares. Let's talk about these images to help understand the foretaste of the feast to come that we will now and can enjoy now and will in the future with Jesus. Last days is a technical theological term. Now in these last days uh, points to a specific age, the messianic age, from when Jesus has come and until he comes again. So very literally, you and I now are living in the last days, the last days that Micah foretold. We have the historical perspective to know that a remnant did return to Israel, but all of those promises that he proclaimed have yet to be completed. They will not be completed until Christ came. And they won't be fully complete until he comes again. And so, despite the good news that Zerubbabel and Ezra would return under, with Nehemiah to the temple to rebuild it, they knew it was incomplete. The word was missing. Something's missing. And then Jesus came. You know from John chapter 1, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. We'll see that even more clearly in chapter 5, but we know in John chapter 1, which literally reads, tabernacled among us. He becomes the temple. He becomes the place that God dwells. The Word is once again with us. Last days. Then we hear this phrase about mountain and Zion. Stephen Um, the scholar, says that mountains are where God dwells and rules. Mountains were where God gave his law, like Mount Sinai, where we get a king, where God's presence is being revealed, showing his face to us. Remember that rabbi who said that the temple was without the Holy Spirit, without a prophet. Well, now on a mountain, the mountain of the temple, it would return with the Messiah. And we get a king. We get the king of kings. And he will remain king. No matter what season of life you may be facing right now, 
whatever worries you might have about the future or the election or whatever it may be, Jesus remains king. And the foretaste we get on this mountain is both law and gospel to lead us to it. Luther would point out that what Babylon may do physically to the people of Judah, the gospel will do spiritually, will be cut down, but then raised up by the power of the word made flesh among us, dwelling with us. Mountains are a place where, remember, God dwells, his presence, and God rules. And so now Jesus is among us. He dwells among us by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he rules our hearts. And then there was that image of fig tree and vine. And then quickly swords to plowshares. There we get the injustice that we heard in chapter 3. The injustice that too often you and I live out in our own sinful lives is getting restored. A fig tree would be an image that everyone would have what they needed. And so economic provision and justice And the vine, an image that ran throughout the whole Old Testament about God's relationship with his people and would come into the Gospel of John with Jesus as he describes it further. Now we have economic justice and peace. And we also have relief from violence. I like how that same scholar Jeff White points out that all kinds of violence will be crushed under the coming of the Messiah when his promise is made complete whether it's the political battles that you have on Facebook or the, the, the death that we see in our communities and the news each night or the battle between nations or the battle between races, all of that will come to an end as he gathers all people, all nations to himself, to himself. All nations will be gathered. In these last days on the mountain justice and peace in the Messiah, in Jesus will reign. I like what Ed Welch says. He puts it this way. This has nothing to do about you and me. It's nothing delightful about ourselves is being described here. Nothing to sing about. It's at this point that this is not about us. It is about God. Jesus coming dwelt among us. In verses 9 and 10, we hear another image about childbirth, the pains of childbirth. Luther says, it's as if the prophet Micah is saying, hold on, endure, however great the pain. Don't you know a wonderful child is about to be born? And so I say to you, my dear friends, hold on. And to whatever dark shadow you might be facing, whatever trouble you might be going through in the brokenness of the world that we live in, the heartache that this life might often bring to you and to me, it will not have the final word. We're tempted to give up or just do what we want, like the false prophets we heard about in chapters 2 and 3. And then that just leads us astray. Maybe you're facing hardship right now. Maybe you're facing disappointment. Maybe you're facing grief. God says, hold on. 
Trust God's Word in good days and in dark ones. Yes, the, the birth pains are real. The difficulties in this life of in between when Christ came and until Christ will come again is real. But hope is also real and it's being revealed, confirmed by the prophecies of, in the book of Micah and confirmed by the presence of Christ himself. We get to pray, Jesus says, for his kingdom come. Micah is talking about God's kingdom, that kingdom that will get replayed and discussed in the Gospels. And so we get to pray for God's kingdom come into your home, into our streets. In the midst of a pandemic, we can pray, God, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, for the remnant who returns with repentance, the remnant who returns with repentance now becomes the place where God dwells and rules. Your heart, you become the place, the temple of God, where His kingdom comes. And where His kingdom comes, yes, here on this earth there will be difficulty. The kingdom of the world will collide with the kingdom of God in your life. But you'll be for sure carrying as followers of God the, the cross that God gives us to carry. But it's not just about the future. It's also about now. He cares about now. His kingdom of justice and mercy comes now through you and me. Even in the shadows, places of this world, we get to be ones who take those little spoons and give a foretaste of the feast to come. Luther says it's as if even in destruction, even if destruction is eminent like it was for Judah, even if you'll be taken prisoner and suffer for a time, hang on, devout people. The shadow won't overtake us. Hang on. I'll end with this story that was told by Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse in the book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Dr. Barnhouse suffered a great loss. His wife died. And an even greater loss was that his daughter was still young. And he wanted to come up with a good illustration to help her understand what it means for her, his, her mother to be in heaven into Christ's arms. Even as they missed her and went through the difficulties of these days. And one day when he was in the car with his daughter, a big truck went rumbling by. And as that truck rumbled by, the shadow of that truck overshadowed them. And it gave him an idea. And Dr. Barnhouse said and asked his little girl, if you were to get hit by that truck, would you prefer to get hit by the truck itself or get hit by the shadow of the truck? And she responded, oh, daddy, that's silly. The shadow of the truck, of course, because that wouldn't hurt so much. It wouldn't be so bad. And then he responded something along these lines. That's exactly what happened to your mother. The shadow of the truck of judgment of death came over your mother, but she is still alive. She's actually more alive than we are, he said. She's in the presence of God, and we will see her someday. You need to understand that only the shadow went over her.
but Jesus took the crushing blow of the truck for us. He took the hard blow on the cross so that you and I would live. So death wouldn't have the final word. And so that shadow might sometimes feel like it overshadows us. But Jesus overshadows the prophecy of Micah. As we hear in 2 Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Jesus took the blow of the brokenness of our sin that you and I have done so that the shadow of death will not overtake us, that crushing blow he took for us, for all those members of the remnant who would return to his law and gospel, that would hear the truth and turn in repentance towards him. We understand today, our today, in light of our future, the future won by Christ himself. Our God even hears the prayers about our daily needs today as well. So keep praying for that kingdom come. Jesus indeed overshadows even the problems of this world with his complete justice. And it includes forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus, friends, he overshadows your life and mine. Jesus dwells and rules in the heart of the remnant. He is the King and our Savior. It can't be overstated the loss of what a loss of a king meant, the destruction of both spiritual and physical lives in the time of Micah, and it can't be overstated when we lose that king either. And so we need to come to Jesus, the King who will restore all things. Don't settle. Don't settle for just the sweet, flowery taste of that syrup alone. You need the word to point you in conviction to the gospel. And don't settle for trying to get there on your own by just following the rules. You need the gospel to set you free. Partake in the foretaste of what is to come and share those spoons with as many people as possible so they can taste in this good news as well. Partake in the foretaste of what is to come in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Messiah. Amen.